Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. More about them in just a second. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and he's online at twitter.com slash Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Thanks also to All About Jazz for carrying the show on their website at allaboutjazz.com, and they've got a widget that shows the latest episode of the show. And if you put that widget on your own website, as many people already have, let me know, okay? Because I will feature your website in my weekly newsletter. Since this show began, the theme music for it has been provided by the Respect Sextet, and they are celebrating their 10th anniversary as a band. It's pretty amazing. Also slightly sad because it means that I'm getting fairly old. But they've been together for 10 years now, and they are celebrating with a show at The Stone tomorrow, September 16th, 2011, and then on October 11th, the 10th anniversary show, which is at uh, Le Poisson Rouge, LPR in New York City. Now, through October 11th, Listeners to the show can get a 50% discount on anything at the Respect Sextet's download site, which is respectsextet.bandcamp.com, respectsextet.bandcamp.com. And if you can't remember that, I will, of course, link it in the show notes to this show. But also, if you just go to respectsextet.com, you'll find a link to it there. When you get there, just put in the code TJS for 50% off anything on the respectsextet.bandcamp.com site. And this is good through October 11th, the day of their 10th anniversary show. Okay? So please check that out. Uh, tell them that you, well, they'll know that you were sent by the jazz session once you put that code in, but please use the code TJS for the jazz session, of course, and get your 50% off and download some great music from the Respect Sextet. They had a rehearsal earlier this week for their upcoming show at the Stone, and I went and checked out the rehearsal, which was really funny. To be honest, I would go watch these guys like just talk to each other because <laughs> they're just that funny. Uh, but it was really fun to see uh, them rehearse and to hear some of the music that I haven't heard in a little while. And then we recorded an interview right after the rehearsal, kind of late at night. But uh, it was great to get a chance to talk to the guys again. We'll hear from that in just a minute. But first, some music from the Respect Sextet.
My guests, uh, again, are the members of the Respect Sextet, and uh, it's, it's just my absolute pleasure to have you guys together. And I guess to start up, i wishing you all a very happy 10th anniversary. Congratulations on, on 10 years. Thank you. Yay! Yay. That's great. Uh, as usual, because I'm a lowly podcaster, we have two mics, and there are seven of us, so we're going to pass them around a lot. Uh, this is the 10th uh, anniversary, and maybe we'll just kind of ID each person as they begin speaking, and Josh Rutner is going to be first. Uh, can you talk a little bit about 10 years ago? The, the kind of early days of this band and uh, and the kind of gig that led to the formation of Respect Six? Yeah, absolutely. I know that we touched on it a little bit uh, when last we met in yeah. podcast land. Uh, alongside uh, this, the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, where all of us spent several years, um, if not more, um. <laughs> well, there's edit point number one. Would you like to continue? <laughs> That's true, right? I've been yeah. there for five years. <laughs> <laughs> took, took some of us a little longer than others. It's going to clean at it. <laughs> oh, there's no way I'm taking that out. Oh, my God. I was born there, right? I have to say that was a great start. I think yeah. we're really off to a good start. Yeah. Anyway, next to that um, fabled school, uh, there was a, a small a small coffee shop, um, and it was sort of I don't know if it was if it was something that had happened a lot, but I know that one memory that one distinct memory that I have is um, Ted and I when we were freshmen and we got there, Ted had gotten, and you can speak more about this, but I remember when we were freshmen, there was a, a saxophone player who had gotten a weekly gig there and, he's, and he had asked you to play in his weekly gig. And I remember that was like very exciting, very exciting to be like playing every week in public. And mind you, this is a, a small-ish coffee shop compared to the grand halls that we currently play, but... Um, but I mean, you know, to to be able to play in public every week um, at all is amazing, especially in hindsight, uh, given our situation. Uh, but the the idea of a weekly gig was alive uh, when we were freshmen, Ted and I, at very least. That experience, well, that that was the start of our time at at Java's there, and that was the name of the coffee shop. And in some ways, that was kind of the real education for all of us. Was you know, we were having you know. Uh, very positive experiences at school, but um, taking it into public and feeling how the music reacted to other people and, you know, editing ourselves, being critical of ourselves, feeling what worked, what didn't work. It was a, you know, immensely valuable workshop there, you know, yeah. in, in there is in the real world, so to speak. Yeah. So um, basically around uh, my, sophomore year and I guess Ted's and James's sophomore year as well um, I sort of finagled my way in and got a Wednesday night um, booking uh, w which I used uh, to host a band that I believe was a quartet or quintet maybe it was Brian Coogan on piano if I'm not mistaken and then James was on trombone and Ike Stern was playing bass and Ted was playing drums how many did i count and me <laughs> and the brother that always forgets to count himself um but anyway that band played several, several yeah. 
at least, at least a couple, if not more. But that ba- that band played for oh about a year, I would say, um, and went through a couple iterations. And Malcolm started uh, playing after a while, uh, and so when it was about Malcolm, Ted. Uh, James and me and Brian and then Brian left town. Brian, by the way, a marvelous uh, piano player, uh, still active in New Orleans and and B three and uh, and whatnot. All the keys play <laughs> plays all at the same time. But to back up, when did we play at that fondue joint? Oh goodness gracious! That was before. Was that before? Was that Thomas? respect? No, well, that it was, was a, respect, a pre- no? precursor. I mean, but, but it was with wow. James. I, mean, I remember coming home and smelling so bad after yeah. those gigs. What is it about a fondue bar with hookah, all this? It was a hookah bar. No, no, fondue. no, no. There was cheese and oil, fondue. hot and cheese had, they and they hot a, oil. The thing was, they had a battle of the pianos, and they had two electric pianos on stage. Dueling. But the dueling, but the, no, nobody know, playing them. The, just the, just the pianos <laughs> were, were dueling. It was so in, so intense. But they also they had wooden cutouts to make them look like grand pianos. But they were just cheap electric pianos. Yeah, I I think I don't know what the chronology. Is. This is red, by the way. At some point, it was a hookah bar, possibly at the same time that it was a fondue place. I just remember that you guys would would come home and you know you'd smell like smoke and be complaining about like. Um, you know, having played cheesy music all night, but um, oh god! Whoa, oh, <laughs> man! Allies, Allies. <laughs> hold on. Edit point two. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's uh, for me. I'm uh, I'm at 29, and so 10 years ago, I must have been 19. And then this 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 period of time, <laughs> the fact check. This period of time they're talking about where we were playing before that. Uh, a lot of us were 18 years old, so basically right out of high school. Maybe slightly better than I guess the average, you know, high school mu- musician. <laughs> but uh, you know, we were very new at this. I was from Vermont, and these guys, a lot of them from Rochester, and so playing a weekly gig was like a really big deal to us. And uh, I guess we have recordings of that. But you know, we were 18 years old. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it's become obvious now that uh, 
and uh, forgive me, I'm so I'm as tired as I've ever been in my life. I have to say, right at this moment, so I've totally forgotten to say things like we should say who we are when we talk. So that was uh, James Hersfeld who plays uh, trombone, and uh, everybody writes. So I won't say they're all composers, but they all are. Uh, the first voice we heard was uh, Josh Rutner plays saxophone and clarinet, and other things, and then we heard uh, Ted Poor, who uh, was a second voice who plays the drums, and we heard Red Rowenga who plays piano, and there's still two more members uh, we have yet to hear from who are Malcolm Kirby who plays bass and Eli Asher who plays trumpet they're on my left to your right were you about to clap feel, no, free. feel, feel free that's totally fine it's really great yeah. so I will say that um, after after we had Already oh I'm sorry oh. it's been four seconds since I said please say your name <laughs> when you start talking so he takes the mic and doesn't do it. I thought that I'd already done it once <laughs> this is yeah. 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 I mean each <laughs> yes. what if we all picked a catchphrase <laughs> Your safe word. That's when your portion <laughs> of the interview is terminated. Uh, this is <laughs> this is Josh. Um, we we were discussing this uh, this early uh, group that was playing a weekly gig at Java's. I would say after about a year of that, uh, running about parallel. Uh, towards about the uh, the final quarter of that year, a bunch of us were in what were known uh, colloquially as jazz combos in school, um, and that combo included. Uh, among uh, others, Malcolm Kirby, um, Garrett Michelson, who was our trumpet player for a year, and then he went back to California um, and is doing great. And we love Garrett very much. Don't we, guys? Yes, <laughs> this is Red? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Um, uh, long story, just slightly longer, <laughs> Garrett um, and the others uh, came down to Java's one night uh, just as a way to sort of exercise the things that we had been playing in combo in a public setting, which we didn't generally get to do. Yeah, you mean exercise as in practice, not in the religious, not in the get rid of sense. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, I did. This is Josh, yeah. I should say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> correct. Correct in that sense. Um, but needless to say, that that first night, it was more like, hey, you guys are in uh, our uh, combo at school. Uh, this group is more or less uh, this combo, so why don't you guys come down? We'll play all this material. One of the things about this combo is that we had done many, many uh, different things. We had had a large book of material and so the idea of taking this material that we had already been essentially rehearsing several times a week and presenting it to uh, a um, public of fellow students and local rochesterians was uh, beyond compare so am i uh, can i take that for a second actually am i so am i right to say that by this point we've got uh josh james ted malcolm and red and kind of into the story right and then garrett playing trumpet. So, Eli, would you introduce yourself into the story? Where did you uh, come along in this chronology? Uh, this is Eli. Hi. Hi. Uh, now I'm in the story. Um, I was I was going to say that I was glad that uh, Josh mentioned that first band at Java's because I remember, um, I think it may have been my first week in Rochester that I was, you know, didn't classes hadn't started you know i had maybe like one friend at that point you know i was looking for things to do i passed by java's and saw that the group was playing and i don't think james was playing that night but i remember that the other guys were playing i remember brian and ike and ted and his yellow drums orange, and, orange? Oh, excuse me 
Ted. It's a good thing Ted was there to fact check that. It's important to correct the record. Well, there's still the man himself. Okay. He may have yellowed a little over the years. No, no, it was cool. Uh, no, it was fun to hear them. I remember him playing some standards, and I don't remember what else. I just remember checking out the band, and it was a fun scene. And later on, running into Josh at the Eastman School dorms and saying, hey, I enjoyed your set the other night. You know, so uh, from then on, you know, it was there was there was a lot of school time, and I can't say I had a lot of uh, contact with these guys. I played in a combo with Ted, I think both years, right? Um, and I got to play with Malcolm in the uh, big band at school. Um, but other than that, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it wasn't until they asked me to join Respect proper after Garrett went back to the West Coast that I really started to play with these guys, and I was really excited to. I think we've told some of that story in the previous podcast that we did. Yeah, one, I guess one thing I'm interested in is uh, when you guys feel like Respect started to have both a sonic identity and kind of a compositional identity. Because now, like I've listened to you guys for almost all of that 10 years and I got a chance to sit here at this rehearsal and while I was sitting here for the last couple hours it just struck me how familiar the sound of this band is to me like it's just very comfortable it still feels very exciting to me but just the the sound of the band is just something that's kind of in my ear like it's a respect sex that sounds like something and it's to me at least immediately recognizable when you hear respect play so I wonder if if somebody maybe can can take the mic uh, and talk about when you started to feel like the band was kind of gelling, like it was more than like, let's just get together and figure out what we're doing, but actually, oh, we've figured some of it out now, and this is what it's becoming. Uh, this is Eli again. I just wanted to say like that, it's funny, you know how these things work, like it's been 10 years, and I still feel like uh, I'm not I'm not an original member in the band. I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> um, I, I still feel like yeah, the fact that I I, I I joined even just a little later, you know, it was like about a year later, because when I had joined the group, it already really had that identity. Um, and I definitely fit in. I definitely, you know, I've been having a great time for the past 10 years, like there's no doubt. But um, I think that came through like them playing every week. They played in school. They played outside of school. Uh, they amassed a vast repertoire of songs and all this stuff they were checking out. And that stuff continues to inform, like, the spirit of the band, musically, compositionally, conceptually, all of that stuff. So both as both in terms of, like, you know, the groups they like to listen to and the music, you know, they checked out, um, both in terms of the composition and also in terms of, like, you know, Clusoni Trio, Peter Brotzman, uh, Albert Eiler, Misha Mengelberg. Uh, those ways of thinking, those ways of checking out music, those ways of dealing with improvisation, those deals, those ways of dealing with uh, open music, those deals, those ways of dealing with the things in between, like open structures, tunes, you know, that have a lot of flexibility.
did you feel excited to be part of that because it was something you were already exploring, something you wanted to explore somewhere in the in the middle of that? I, I think somewhere in the somewhere in the middle, but absolutely. I mean, I had been, I'd played some free music, actually some pretty serious stuff when I was in college, right? So, but respect was a different thing. I mean, like the Dutch stuff, I had no idea about and read and some of the guys were starting to get into the electroacoustic music and uh it was different so i actually uh it's kind of funny like when i when i got to rochester i had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder i've already done this i've already i've played in new york you know i've played with some guys who are actually you know really happening players now i'm not going to name drop at the moment but um and then, I think John Tesh's name already. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, then then, then to, like, see this happen, it was like, oh, this is something I want to be a part of. Like, my, my previous experiences, had they had set the bar pretty high. And then I got to watch these guys evolve about over the course of about a year and to also, like, to focus their talents, you know, in such yeah. a way. Uh, this is Red again. Uh, Eli, it's interesting to hear you say that. My uh, answer to Jason's initial question about when we started to have this um, sort of identity uh, as a band in, in terms of the sound, I was going to say the first night we played together, um, it, was, it wasn't it was planned. Josh just said, hey, come on down, and we played. And immediately after our second set, Josh and I like turned to each other and said, we need to keep doing this. And Josh asked me if we could call the band Respect. <laughs> and I certainly uh, agreed to that. Yeah, there was just something that the, the combination of people brought in that was very different from, I think, anything that any of us had ever been involved with previously. So as as a band, we, I think, from the get-go had a certain um, unique sound. Compositionally, I think it's taken a little longer to develop just to figure out, okay, let's try this out, let's try that out. Um, initially, we brought in some of our original tunes and covers, you know, from everything from Bulgarian music to Bach and Beatles, you know, to Albert Eiler and, you know, Herbie Nichols, all over the map. Um, lately, we've, you know, done a lot more originals, but, of course, we still did the Sun Ra and Stockhausen disc, so... Um, yeah, uh, Malcolm. I wanted to ask you: Do you is is there something that you can point to that explains why the band works so well together? I mean, now that you've had like a decade to kind of kind of hear it. Yeah, this is Malcolm. Um, I think a lot of that lies in the fact that you know, there's real old friendships here, like Ted and Red, and, and I used to play trio when Ted was like 15, and you know, me and Red were 18 or whatever it was, and we've just known each other for a long time and, and I think there's a real similar kind of sense of humor in Josh as well um, all growing up together but I, th I think I think it's, it's a real similar sense of humor in this group and I feel like there was a period in the band where we were taking things real seriously kind of when it morphed from the quartet quintet into respect we're trying to do all really hard music mix meters and nail everything and, and feel good about that you know and then it kind of went into this period of like kind of going against that playing really open and, and almost a degree of like silliness like we were playing on like I remember playing the acoustic bass on my side one night and like people running around outside Java's and going crazy and just kind of like abandoning all those views of like you know we need to play really difficult music and kind of gelling the idea of just 
you know, let, let's try something completely different. Let's be open about this and let's... But it was never discussed or anything. It's just kind of like a shared common thread of humor that I think everyone has in this group where it's not to be too pious about the thing, but let's do it really well. But at the same time, let's, let's have it be equally fun and also maybe equally reverent at the same time. It, it, there's, there's a lot of, I think, a huge connoisseurship towards music in this whole group. It's just like a huge love of all music and kind of trying to bring that energy into it. So it can seem abstract. It can be kind of hard to pinpoint down what respect is or what it's trying to do even now because it's, it's, it's kind of a very wide open thing. It just occurs to me before I ask the next question that uh, Respect is actually the first uh, live musical experience that my older son Bernie ever had. Because when he was, it couldn't have been more than, I don't know, maybe two months old. I remember Jen and I brought him to Java's and we had the car seat that you could detach you know, and carry the top part of it in. And I remember bringing him into Java's and, and hanging out and thinking, oh, this is a cool, if this is what's going to start off his musical listening I was happy that it was that. I just I had all forgotten that until this, this very moment, but that makes me really happy.
can uh, and maybe Josh uh, t- can you talk about the first time that Respect made you know a record that you guys decided to <laughs> to get some of this down uh, um, for posterity. Yeah, I it's funny looking back on that now, looking at the the dates on these things. But the first three sort of if you could call them albums um, that we that we put out were all sort of like CDRs. I mean, we basically. I remember the first one, which was self-titled Respect, but it was all lowercase and had a period at the end and was in parentheses. I mean, it was like very, we were very shy, <laughs> as a, you know, personality-wise for the first three records, they were all in parentheses. Um, but we, I remember sitting in Garrett's apartment and just like burning these CDs one by one on his computer. You know, we had, we had amassed, um, anybody remember uh, mini discs? <laughs> you guys remember that stuff? <laughs> Oh, kids today with their compact discs. <laughs> um, yeah, and their hula hoops. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, I think Red had a had a pretty good microphone, and we had a mini disc player, and that was like the thing was we decided we're here every week, let's record everything, and so we did. We would just like set things up, and sometimes the recording sounded horrible, and sometimes they sounded great. And, you know, the the test would just be like, Ted, play as loud as you can. I remember a lot. Just, uh, Ted, play something extremely loud. <laughs> and then if that didn't peak, then we were okay for the set. Um, but we had amassed a whole ton of uh, recordings. So the first record, um, Respect, uh, I think was uh, 2002. In fact, I think all the first sort of three CDRs were 2002, which is silly to think about, but I guess the school year is long when you're a student. Um, and Respect basically just included um, sort of a compilation of r- recordings we felt pretty good about. They weren't even from the same place, like some we had recorded in the school itself. Some were live recordings from Java's. Um, Juno Tempa we recorded, as well as uh, the Christmas, or the or the weather outside, one of the Christmas, the winter, Let It Snow, and... Uh, what else was on there? Rafe Canabus and uh, a Michel Mangelberg song, I'm sure. Yeah, the definitely. Was probably on there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was basically just like we we went through all our recordings and said, what could we put out? So that was our way of, of like, you know, making a little, a couple dollars each gig, you know, sucker some Rochesterians into purchasing a record or two. Um uh, did you have something to say about respect, Red? Well, it's it's funny. I'm now thinking, yeah, we made a uh, hundred copies of that or so, and you know, we sold out within a month or a month and a half. And thinking about that now, that that's nice. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Wow, you got to hand it to yeah. us. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking, yeah, I, we couldn't do that now, but I guess that's that's oh, that kind of attitude. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, but so like we we sold out of out of our edition of a hundred of this, and what are we going to do? Are we going to, you know, just make more copies of the CD? And we said, well, why don't we just record a new CD? And by this point, Eli um, was on board, so we we recorded our second CD. Um, Respectacle. Respectacle. Also in friends. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we we just did one one recording, one set at uh, East Dorm actually, and it was a performance space in the dorm. Right, I mean, it wasn't yeah. like in a it, it wasn't in, in a dorm room. It wasn't in the cafeteria. It was, in, <laughs> it was it was in the Chiminelli formal lounge. Um, it was, it was know, a we, formal concert. Yeah, we we wore our tails. Yeah, that is you know tux kind of tails, not just like animal right. tails. Yeah, but, thank you. Um, and respectable was. Uh, just I'm thinking now. Was that um, original material for the most part? Um, it, it was. It was. It was all original was. material, and that um, that was a big difference between Respectacle and the first album, Respect. Um, Respect was um, almost entirely covers, covers um, and again very diverse. But you know, by the time we got to Respectacle, we said, okay, let's play some of our own music and. Um, and in, this is James. And releasing those discs, even though we were we were literally burning the CDs on our computers one at a time, and then we made these sort of ridiculous uh, packages that they came in with corrugated cardboard and a, a wing nut with a screw on it. And I mean, it's a disc that you couldn't put in any storage container because it was. It was <laughs> I still just, have all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but even in that, we were we were uh, talking to the local newspaper about. Uh, getting reviews and I believe we got reviews for a lot of those so in a way it was like this great training for uh, you know what would come later even though I mean it, I, yeah we did a pretty good job when you think about it yeah and, <laughs> and I mean you guys were in some sense that was kind of the big uh, I, I don't know you, you were the beginning for me at least of really seeing that kind of like indie you know kind of production aesthetic where it's like let's let's make it interesting we have you know, we don't have any money really, but let's make the record and let's treat it as if it were like any other record because it is like any other record. And uh, I just remember thinking that was really, really cool back at the time. I mean, we played, uh, you know, at a jazz station at those that time and we played respect records on the station. And it was, it didn't matter if they came in a weird package. It was just like any other record. I mean, respect was like any other ensemble and Anyone who couldn't see the packaging, or even people who could, uh, I think it. I mean, I think it held up with everything else that we were that we were playing at the time. Uh, so, continuing on with the chronology, also because I know in the not too distant future we're going to get uh, the boot from this room that we're in. Uh, so we had uh, respect, and then respectacle, and what followed? Uh, respooked. <laughs> Which is which? Which which R E S P double O K T? That's right. Yeah. yeah, of course, with a period in parentheses. <laughs> uh, and that was, you know, if if a CDR weren't enough, that was a that was the mini CDR format. Oh, that's which right. If you have the little indentation in your CD player. Right, which I had a computer it, it tray that there. popped out, and yeah. I couldn't play it in there until yeah, I so got a, a player where I could listen to it. Yeah, right. So, so we we made those. We were actually wearing ridiculous costumes at the time, uh, and Red has a comment. If if I remember correctly, uh, we had done one recording session actually in a studio, um, and no. we were we were basically 
like waiting for another recording session, waiting like to finish work on this proper CD. Yeah, and then so, I remember Respoot coming out kind of before. That. Yeah, so uh-huh. like we did one recording session, then there was uh, an interval between that recording session and the next time that we could basically finish um, recording, and so we said, oh well, let's put out another mini CDR, you know, and and we we recorded a Halloween gig, and it was a lot of fun, and ended up. Um, deciding on one 20 minute long track of a Sun Ra tune I was just going to ask yeah, wasn't it Call for All Demons yeah yeah, and so that that was Respooked special guest special guest Jason Price on trumpet and laptop and dog costume and dog costume <laughs> yes <laughs> can't hear that quite as much there's, there's some barking on the record but mostly it's a trumpet and laptop Malcolm, can you talk about that studio recording that uh, that Red just mentioned and what what that became? The, the, with the full respect we're talking about here, this yeah. is Malcolm. Uh, that was a studio that was pretty had some infamy down in Rochester there, uh, East End Studios, and uh, they had been a former kind of big R and B type studio. Jodeci recorded a lot of their hits there, and they went through a period where they kind of fell under, and then they got taken up by Debbie uh, Wegman or Wilson, who was a Wegman, uh, and we. I kind of was working there doing some mixing, so we got a hook up on the recording, and uh, I think that was our first real, you know, real deal kind of good-sounding recording. <laughs> the other one sounded really musical, but I think a lot of them had, like Josh said, we mixed tracks together, so you had crazy reverb, but yeah, it was, yeah. you know, homebrew productions for sure, and so, but that one, uh, I think there's a lot of really strong ones on there. Ted, Ted's got some real serious tunes on there. Um, I don't know, that, that that studio, I think, was a good experience for us to go into a real studio and just lay down tracks and that album's pretty strong still i think i like listening to that yeah, stuff I, even now i mean correct me but I, you're probably the person who spent more time in a recording studio than any of us in this room given the nature of the other production work that you do is there something about stepping into an actual studio that changes the nature of what you do and is that something you either have to embrace or combat or try to ignore or anything like that? uh I, I think especially with this kind of music i think it's something that can be really inhibiting you know, um, if you take away the live element of everyone playing in the, the same room together, it, it can be difficult being in different booths and, you know, headphone mixes become 
the ultimate determinant in whether or not it's going to be good or not almost. Um, but I feel like that one actually worked pretty well. I feel like in that situation, things, things were pretty smooth and pretty easy compared to a lot of other situations I've sure. been in. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it can sterilize things a lot of the time, I think, you know, cause you're so overly self-conscious for sure. Does the, uh, does the full respect have in the shadow of my beer on it? Isn't that oh, yeah. one of Ted's tunes, right? That I used to remember. Shout out my beer. Yeah, Will really to the Woods. Was another. You heard that one recently? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah this, this is James. Uh, it has in Shadow of My Beer, Will to the Woods, and it has, I think, in total 18 songs on it, which was like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, we were, I must have been so excited about going into a studio, and I, it must have been a long time since we've recorded. I mean, uh, or, you know, we'd never done a recording like this, so I guess we all wanted – uh, to have the songs on that album, and uh, I think I don't know how long in minutes it is, but it is. Uh, you get what you pay for. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, James. Actually, while you still have the mic, do you think that uh, the different members of Respect have different writing personalities? Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's I think the strength of the ensemble is that uh, each member is allowed to bring in sort of whatever they've written and. Uh, and it gets a you know a fair uh, hearing basically. Uh, what I do find is that uh, while we're all game to play a piece once or twice, uh, the life of a piece is really determined by how open that piece can be uh, upon repeated playings. So if it's a uh, through composed piece with uh, where each person has a written out part, and each time you play it. For example, one of my uh, songs called Cartel, which is on uh, uh, the full respect, is basically... That we, was a top 10 that billboard was a top hit, 10. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I Does received I awards for that song. Yeah. Do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but because because you could really only play that in one way because everybody's part was written out and it always had the same form and the form, yeah, was always sort of the same, we lose interest in it. So we're, at this point, even though everyone has their own style, we're mostly interested in playing music that... Um, can be reinterpreted each time we play it. One of the things I found, you wrote the Tony the Cat piece, is that right? That's correct, yeah, yeah part of the kitten canon. Uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> one, of the things, uh, one of the things I found, it's a terrible segue, but I found really moving tonight was when, when you guys played it, uh, several of the other members of the band paid what seemed to be very genuine, heartfelt compliments about how much they enjoyed that piece. And uh, and that seems to happen just kind of going around. I mean, there there was cool tonight, like listening to you guys pick out repertoire from what is now a huge body of music. I mean, this band has a lot of music that it knows how to play. And I really enjoyed getting to sit here and hear people kind of call out tunes because they had a genuine affection for them. Uh, it, it just seemed like kind of a cool place to be in where you can kind of look back and say, oh, I, I really have some good associations with this. Let's play this. Piece True. Yeah. I, there's very little uh, false praise, I think, in this band. Uh, you know, very. <laughs> uh, we've been, we, yeah, we've been yeah. here for 10 years. We don't need to, like, tell, oh, man, great playing. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen, basically. I think that uh, people are really honest with each other and uh, and that a – it's very yeah. It's very meaningful when somebody says, "Oh, I like I like this piece." And at the same time, even though we were playing that piece and people really liked it, uh, so they said, um, <laughs> <laughs> "You know, we were also not getting overly sentimental about anything." I mean, sentimentality. I think we all sort of uh, eschew. Can I say that word? I think you can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll allow it. Yeah, we Judges? we sort of 
we sort of push, I think, sentimentality away from us. I don't think any of us really like it. So, you know, uh, the piece you're talking about is sort of, it could be sentimental, but I, we definitely try and, uh, I think, fight the urge to be sentimental with sure. anything. And while you still got the mic and we're talking about composition, um, as one of the writers for this band, do you write very specifically for this ensemble? Does the fact that you know exactly who's going to play it make a difference in what you write? Uh, sometimes. Actually, I really think of it as, and I, maybe we all do, I think of it as a uh, exper- you know, a place where I can experiment. So I can bring in something I've been thinking about recently, whether it is a, a, you know, a Bulgarian piece, you know, as in the case of Josh, or um, a game. Who is Bulgarian? That's, yeah, why. that's right. right yeah. Or has an interest in <laughs> Bulgarian music, or Eli with um, improvisation games, or... Uh, mathematical structures or rad with silly <laughs> melodies, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a place where we can bring something in and just get a, like I said, a fair hearing of whatever we're trying out. And uh, that's, I mean, that's a very valuable thing. So it sounds like there's not, I mean, to, to hear you say that, it sounds like there's not like, okay, now I'm bringing in a respect tune. It sounds more like you can bring in almost anything expecting that the band will be able to play it and you'll at least get to hear yeah, absolutely. it actualized. No, no, no limits. I will say as, as a little caveat, I think part of what we deal with is I think a lot of us as composers and musicians, we have a lot of ideas, um, but there are things that respect is good at and there are things that we like to do and there are things that are practical to do, like meaning, you know, we don't work every week the way we used to. And we all have our lives outside of this band. So if you can bring something in that can really wake up in the span of one gig, maybe two gigs, you know, a rehearsal, then that's the kind of stuff that I think that I think pays off. Uh, I mean, I as a composer and as a musician, I like checking out a whole lot of different approaches, you know, music, musically and conceptually and that kind of thing. But uh, you're asking if there's a, like, respect style in that sense. Well, that, that's something. That's something in that, um, you know, if you bring a tune that's suggestive and so, it's something that can take off given, you know, the kind – but one, the kind of band we are and also the kind of, you know, gigs we're playing. This is New York. It's hard to play a lot, you know. So, yeah, no – we're not going to get, like, long uh, written-out compositions and that sort of thing. Sure. Right. Can you go on to the next record? Sure. sure yeah. So we followed uh, the full respect uh, up with respect in you, and that was sort of an accidental record. Um, we uh, had scheduled a few gigs, um, one in actually two in Toronto, one in Rochester, and this was in 2004, at which point Ted had moved to New York. And Eli was um, around Washington, D.C. We got a few gigs. We said, hey, can, can you guys come up? I think Malcolm was, you were touring with the Campbell brothers at that point. Um, and so we just, you know, did a few gigs. Matt Closey joined us on bass. Um, we played an evening gig in Toronto and then a day gig the following day in Toronto. And that, frankly, did not go wonderfully. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe it was amazing. I, I just believe the review that said it was like Groundhog Day, and that was not a compliment. <laughs> Dull as dirt, I believe. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, but so then we we drove back to Rochester and played a gig that night, and I just said, "Oh yeah, I got I got these new mics. I'm just gonna set up my laptop, record this, and see what happens." And it ended up being just a wonderful gig. On on the break, we said, "Wow, this is going incredibly. You know, it's, it's so much fun." And um, as it turned out, the the recording you know sounds pretty good with the the exception that you can't really hear the piano and that as it was my first time recording with the setup uh, the computer fell asleep in the <laughs> middle of the gig and and yeah but um we, we said yeah it sounds good let's just you know do something with this um james did some some editing and some mixing and mastering on it and yeah we decided to release it and you know, I think it's very, very different from the full respect. Um, obviously, it's live. It's five long tracks rather than 18 short tracks. Um, but, it, you know, I, I, I like it a lot. Because I haven't paced this interview well, we're running very short on time, and we've still got more records to talk about. So uh, can we kind of go through the rest of the chronology? Maybe Josh can take us to the next record. Uh, after that, uh, we decided to sort of do a, a bit of a concept record. Um, the idea had been thrown around, and obviously you could consult the uh, previous sure. jazz session interview for deets on that Um how how they relate and whatnot, but it was a it was a concept record. We decided we wanted to do this thing that would be uh, not only a way for us to be not not a repertory band momentarily necessarily, but um, you know to really delve into material of uh, certain composers and you know uh, it's a great way to. What was the concept? I wonder. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm sorry. This is Josh. <laughs> um. <laughs> there were two composers, uh, Sun Ra and uh, Karl Heinz Stockhausen, and we we decided to to tackle as best as we could, uh, as best we could, um, you know, bits of their material that we thought could could work appropriately for uh, for the band. Uh, we teamed up with um, Mode Records. Uh, Brian Brandt from Mode Records was really uh, uh, great and and jazzed, as it were, about the the project. 
um, and Mode slash Avant Records um, uh, put put the album out, and it's it's been gotten great, um, I guess, uh, critical. Uh, hearings acclaim, acclaim. <laughs> uh, pe- people seem to like it okay and we and we like it okay and um, and it was it was just really fun to do and it was a great I think that was I guess 2009 or 10 2009. something like that 2009 it, it seems to me like that record kind of moved respect from or, you know maybe more into the the kind of more mainstream critical circles it seemed to it seemed to get reviews in a lot of places you guys were getting recommended as a gig to see and you know some of the major kind of new york publications yeah. it seemed like it was kind of a, a crossing over point in some sense yeah I, I think that's safe to say this is red again um i think part of that um has to do with the cachet that mode records has um they've been very influential in um bringing a lot of contemporary music uh, to light and to listeners that otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, specifically, John Cage has been really well represented on the label. But so they have a certain cultural cachet and distribution. And also, if people don't know the Respect Sextet, they might know Sun Ra. They might know Stockhausen. If they know both of them and see their names together, they think, wow, that, that sounds pretty interesting, and they sure. might check it out. So I think that did certainly help in introducing us to a wider audience. While you've got the mic, will you take us to uh, this most recent project, and then we'll talk about the live gig? Sure, yeah. Um, we actually, in in the midst of working on the Sun Ra Schockhausen thing, we booked uh, a day to record at Bennett Studios, and um, that was of all our original music, so very different from the Sun Ra Schockhausen project. And eventually we had a little backlog. We said, we have this mixed and mastered. It sounds great. Let's get it out there. So we did a digital-only release of that just about a year ago, and you can find it on respectsextet.bandcamp.com. And that's farcical built, built, built for six. Right? Is the name of the record. Thanks, James. Yes. Who are we? What do we have? Let's sell some CDs here. Yeah. <laughs> farcical built for six. They're back at the bar. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is the first oh, record wow. that we without some some sort of respect in the title. But um, then, about six months ago, we recorded uh, a, a, a whole gig actually at the Greenwich House Music School. We had played there last fall and just had a great time playing there. Wonderful acoustic, um, nice piano, really cool vibe. So we said, let's book a night just to you know record a CD. And so we did that, and right now, actually, Malcolm just finished mixing it, and it sounds great. And this is actually the first, um, I guess, first live record that we've done since Respect and You, which came out in 2005. 
So, um, and when will this one be available? Um, basically, whenever uh, you know some label decides that they want to release it. Um, so, if you're listening, you know, um, <laughs> don't want to name names. But, uh, we have a short list we prepared yeah, yeah, of labels, yeah, Jason. You know, we'll give you some tracks. You know, uh, we can do a little demo on on the old jazz <laughs> session and, and see what comes up. Yeah, but um, we're very fifteen percent. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll give you a cut. But. Uh, yeah, we're very excited to, to, to get that out. And finally, and Josh, I'll give the mic back to you for this. Uh, Respect has uh, some live shows coming up, uh, including this very week, and then the big 10th anniversary show. Will you tell folks about that? Uh, yeah, so coming up uh, this Friday, this hits on mm-hmm. Thursday. Today is yep. Thursday, if you're listening when it hits. Uh, so tomorrow, Friday, um, we'll be, um, uh, we will play at The Stone uh, on the Lower East Side. I think it's Avenue C and 2nd Street. If I'm not mistaken, uh, and that show um, kicks off, I believe, a fortnight, a full fortnight of uh, of music curated by uh, Brian Brandt. Uh, it's a, basically like a mode artist's uh, fortnight of music, and uh, we'll be playing. And then after us is the John Cage Variety Show, so definitely uh, come out and see that. And what time is your set? We play at eight o'clock uh, at the Stone on Friday. And then the big 10th anniversary the, show. The 10th anniversary blowout in New York will be at Le Poisson Rouge on Bleecker Street uh, on October 11th. That's a Tuesday, and I believe it's uh, 7.30 is, uh, is when we begin the show. And we'll have uh, at, le- at very least one uh, special guest, if not uh, more than one. Are tickets uh, for that show already available? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's lprnyc.com. Or, um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bring you to the website. Um, or you can go to, I guess, respectsistat.com and check our events page, and we've got links to everything. Uh, or thejazzsession.com, I suppose. Fantastic. And no, check I'm that not out as well. Link to any of this crap. <laughs> I'm not even going to post this show, actually. I didn't want to tell you guys. Really. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations on, on 10 amazing years and, uh, and wishing you many more. And since the band issues sentimentality, I won't be sentimental other than to say, you know, I really, really love you guys and the music you make and, uh, and am glad to have been. Uh, you know, associated with through the jazz session for all these years. So thanks very much. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, guys.
That's music from the Respect Sextet. Don't forget, you can go to respectsextet.bandcamp.com and use the offer code TJS for The Jazz Session. TJS to get 50% off anything at their Bandcamp site. So again, that's respectsextet.bandcamp.com. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. The show is member-supported, so if you like what you hear, please do become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can do it for as little as 10 bucks a month, or if you'd like to get a whole year out of the way at once, you can do it for $110 a year. And then there are levels above those. Uh, please do become a member. It's what keeps the show going. Thanks. And now, if you would, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.